Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, our memories of Dungeons and Dragons. What does it take to be a dungeon master? And what advice would we give on becoming a DM? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And welcome to our DM Roundtable. This is Gerald, who is not a DM, but I am Gerald Glassford, one of the guys behind Pop Culture Cosmos, and also one of the great players for the Monday episode of the Demolition Force, which you can catch on Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. So please check out our great adventures there. For right now, this will be a great way to go ahead and connect with our DMs because as you've heard on Mondays, Saturdays, Sundays, Thursdays, Fridays, heck, all week long, Tuesdays, we have great adventures all week long and some outstanding DMs. But I wanted to go ahead and create a series of podcasts that will just do a deep dive into the minds of these DMs. What makes them tick, which might be scary in some cases with our crew, but in others, you know, it might just be a whole lot of fun. You'll hear some great stories, some great inspiration. And if you are on the fence about becoming a DM or GM in Tabletop RPG, we hope our shows will give you inspiration to do that as well. Our cast here today of DMs, it's a great experience roundtable I've got. I feel so inadequate myself because I haven't yet taken a plunge. But you never know. I might just do that someday down the line. But I've got a great collection of DMs here with me. First up is Melinda. Melinda, just great to have you here. I know you DM some awesome games. Not one, not two, sometimes three if you do sometimes one-shots. So tell us about what you do on Fridays and the games that you DM every week. Hey, well, I'm I'm DMing a lot less right now than I used to or than I was at one point. But uh, right now, I look after Fridays for Pop Culture Cosmos. I have a group of girls back in Canada that I've been gaming with for well, like three years. We've been podcasting for the last two. So I've been their DM for the last two years. So that's been a really fun experience. And I hadn't DM'd for any group aside from those girls. So I wanted to be consistent on Fridays. So I took the step forward into DMing a second group. 
and that has turned into Warlocks and Whiskey, which is one-shots. And a lot of people kind of beef on one-shots a little bit. I love running a one-shot. I, you know, I don't know what it is about them. I just, I love them. I think they're wonderful. Well, there you go. Absolutely. So if you want to check out how she runs her games, not only is it available in the back catalogs on Twitch, YouTube, and for a period of time, up to 90 days on Facebook, you can also check what she's doing every Friday night when she runs her games, and it is greatly appreciated. She got, in fact, last week she had a tremendous amount of people interacting with her on Facebook, and it was such a great time, so I hope you'll get to join us then. But Tuesdays are just as awesome with you, Rob. And so as Melinda's husband, the man who invades so many of our, our streams, uh, so many of our games with all the wonderful role-playing and characters that you do, you also host an awesome game as well. Yeah, you can find me every Tuesday. That's right at 2 o'clock. It's a Rob's whimsical one-shot. I'm stealing a little bit of lore from everyone's game and some of their characters that I actually play in their campaigns as well. So if you like some of the voices that you uh, hear from me, you can always find me there. You can also check me out at Vampires and Vitae. That's a highly uh, manicured podcast uh, that's going to be dropping every Friday. And we've been going for about a year. The finale is coming right up. I'm going to be jumping into Vampires and Vitae Season 2, which can be brought to you right here at Pop Culture Cosmos. One of the exciting things is we're also going to have the wonderful Roger joining us. And we're going to go right to video this time. So uh, way to start off with something brand new. That's awesome. Again, please experience that every Tuesday and also Vampires Vitae, wherever you get your podcasts. Please go ahead and check out all the back episodes there. But speaking of great RPG podcasts, you need to go ahead and check out every Monday night at 8, some Reckless Moves Inside there. And you want to go ahead and check out what our good man indeed is doing, Mr. Michael. Michael's here as well. Hey, tell us a little bit more about your awesome RPG podcast. Well, the, the podcast is uh, just celebrating two years, and it's kind of amazing. We run a, uh, I have uh, always run kind of a module homebrew in the last, at least last, a lot of modules and homebrew tying things together. So we have six players. We went every two weeks the first year and went every week. So we just uh, published episode 69 uh, tonight. We do record that in advance for, for season one characters are now at uh, level fifteen. We campaign in Greyhawk. It's one of the original, actually one of the two original settings for the before Aiden and D, the original box set. I've been playing since <laughs> since I was ten, so seventy nine. It took me a long time to DM. It took me another year because there was only three of us in my small town that played. It was Julian, Darren, and me. So what would DM the other guys played? <laughs> Also as well here today is our weekend DM man, and also the DM for many of our most fantabulous one-shots that we've had over the course of the last year. I was going to say years, but we're not quite there yet. You got to go ahead and check them out Saturday and Sunday. And here to talk about that and more is a good man indeed, Mr. Mitch. Mitch is here with us. Thank you so much again for joining us on today's show. Yeah, I am the weekend guy. I uh, run two wonderful little games on the weekends. The first is a mishmash of homebrew stuff from Kobold Press and my own terrible inner machinations of my mind. Players are dying. They're dying in droves. No, they're fine. It's a fun little desert-themed campaign, so I get to have a lot of fun with that, and the players seem to enjoy it. 
Sundays, though, is Curse of Strahd, which is arguably the best 5th edition module that's come out. I wouldn't say it's much of an argument. Curse of Strahd is amazing. I, on the other hand, am not amazing, so it's an extremely difficult module to run, but it's also a lot of fun. Players seem to be enjoying it, no complaints yet. But uh, I used to DM a bit more. Work got in the way, so now it's just the weekend times. And you've also been able to go ahead and run a couple of, of great games uh, during the course of time with Mass uh, Effect, Star Wars. So it's not just Dungeons & Dragons, which you've held, done some uh, an outstanding job running some short campaigns with us as well. People should go ahead and check that out in the archives if they can. That Mass Effect one was really good. You guys, uh, you guys knocked it out of the park with that one. Uh, absolutely, but you let, us, you let us through that journey, so we cannot thank you enough for doing that. And last but certainly not least is probably the reason why we're here today. And the reason why I say that is when we were setting up a game, I was looking to get back into Dungeons and Dragons after 30 years away. And me and a couple other guys I had gotten together off the, the Facebook chat, plus another individual that was with me that was part of the Pop Culture Cosmos, uh, who at that time was very eager to get into his first time playing Dungeons and Dragons. We were all scheduled to do a game, and that day, the DM, unfortunately, had to go to the hospital. And we weren't sure with an hour left, I think, or right around the time that we were going to go ahead and start the campaign, what to do. But this man stepped in, reaching back into, I guess, a... Uh, any experience that he could from way back when, when he last ran a campaign and that campaign that he started on that day when he wasn't expecting it, he was just expecting to be a player has since gone on to be the demolition force, which is now well into closing in. By the time you hear this, probably be close to 50 weeks uh, as far as playing that 50 campaigns. And I just cannot thank him enough for, for picking up the slack on that and, Look what's happened since we've all met each other through this game, and it's been a great adventure. And the guy who's led that is a good man indeed. It's Mr. Roger. And Roger, great to have you here. Thanks so much. Thanks, Gerald. I, I still say that you're you're the man who got everybody together because you're the one who got us together on that uh, that D and D group on Facebook. But you're the one who decided ago. to step in and run the game. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was I was fortunate that Roll Twenty had uh, given out for free the uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver. Roll Twenty and Wizards of the Coast got together. It was right when the COVID lockdown was breaking. So cool that invited me. Yeah, well, I, I've, I've I done got a lot this of guy, Gerald. I got this guy. <laughs> Seems really nice. Wants to play like a dog character. Well, see, the thing is. Me and Mitch were already playing. I was a, a player in his campaign before we started Lost by Nathandelver, which is now so Demolition really, Force. it's because of me. Roger would have never started playing D&D again if it weren't for me. No, I'm kidding. Hey, either which way, it's worked out and got all of us together. And in fact, you know what? Uh, we'll go ahead and start with you, Roger. It's, it's, you know, because you said it was a long time before you got back into it. Talk about how you started D&D so long ago and then how you got back into it with Mitch. Well, I just learned a couple of minutes ago that Michael and I are the same age. He actually started before I did. I was about 12. So it was uh, about 1982, 1981 when I got into it. 
and it was just one of those things I, I've always been a book person and and kind of a nerd and I came across the the box set oh, the good old red box which I still have my original red box the only box that I'm missing out of my collection is the expert set which was the black box but I still have all of my original stuff I got into it and started Back then, they had uh, solo adventures and things like that that were built into the modules, into the, the rule sets and stuff. There was a couple of other modules and stuff like that. They all were color-coded and numbered and letter codes and all kind of stuff. And, of course, everybody um, knew the big black book with the you know, the huge, huge uh, monster on it that people were look at it. if you weren't a fan of D, you look at it it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh there you're peddling the beholder the, the, yeah the peddling the devil <laughs> and all that so yeah oh yeah i was i was definitely a, a victim of the satanic panic in in my family my family was very church going and stuff like that when they found out that i was into uh dungeons and dragons several of them had a talking to me it didn't stop me <laughs> So I moved on from from doing those solo adventures and stuff. I roped a couple of my friends into it. One of my friends, still my friend today, actually all of those are still friends today, he embraced it as much as I did, and he went out and bought his own stuff. So he and I were the DMs uh, in our group. So I had a couple of my cousins, and we had a couple of other friends, and we would meet at one guy's house, and we would play... Back then, we didn't have miniatures, we didn't have computers or anything, everything was pencil and paper. Uh, we hand-drew our character sheets because we were all broke and none of us could afford to go out and buy the pre-printed ones. So I actually bought carbon paper, and Roger. I made copies with carbon paper. What? It, it almost sounds like you're saying you had to walk uphill in the snow both ways, and you liked it. With no shoes in July. Oh, I get it. <laughs> but yeah, I I stuck with it for several years. And then actually through high school, once I got out of high school is, a, is pretty much when I, when I stopped. Uh, I went into college and then I went into the military. And after that, I got married. And the person I was married to did not like any of that kind of stuff. So I wasn't allowed to do it. And then I got a divorce and now I'm married to the good wife and she allows me to do things that I enjoy. We like the good wife. Yes. Yep. Well, let me ask you this. I know how hard it was for me and intimidating for me to get back into it again as a player over 30 years mm -hmm. and to step back into it. Uh, and it's something I had been itching to do for about a year, but I was kind of like hesitant to it. And it wasn't until uh, I had Octavio who was a newbie and wanted to go ahead and, and find out. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and work this as a slant for, for the shows that I do and bring it from that perspective and find out, because I know a lot of people, like you said, with, with the COVID lockdown happening around that time, a lot of people were starting to get into it. There was more and more news coming from the Dungeons and Dragons world. So I'm like, I think this is something I need to touch back in on and, and give it a shot mm -hmm. and, and went from there. And Octavio, who I was working with on a lot of stuff, it was really interested in delving into it. So I figured, you know what, let's get back into it. So for you, what got you back hooked on it? Was it just with a new wife and getting into um, a new life? Or, or what prompted actually, that fire? What sparked it back up for you? Actually, it was my son, my son, Ryan. 
who's my middle son. I have a lot of kids. And I gave him all of my old D&D stuff. He, he had seen it for most of his life. It was in a box in the house at one time or another, and he had seen it, and he's like, what's that? And I would tell him a little bit about it, but I thought he was too young at, at the time. But then once we moved out here, he matured a little bit. I told him, here you go. But wait, okay. He was too young. How old was he when he was when you thought he was too young? Uh, about fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> mm, mm. You can see where I'm going with this conversation. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, that's uh, a little but, bit of self-incrimination there for you. But okay. Well, the 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 thing is that those books that I have are thirty years old. And okay. all of all of my old notes, my old dungeons, my old homebrew dungeons and stuff, all of that paper was still in there, and it's thirty years old. It's it's not holding up so great anymore. It's kind of delicate. And he was a teenage doofus, and he had a <laughs> lot of doofus friends, as teenage boys are wont to do. So I was like, yeah, no, I don't trust him yet. But then. He he showed me some things that, that he was able to take care of stuff, and I was like, okay, here, I am passing the torch. Gave him all my dice. I had this big box with all of my stuff, and he dug into it, and he got into it. He got some of his friends into it, but then he found out that, hey, they're not playing like this anymore. There's fifth edition now. Nobody knows what this red box is. And he started getting into 5e. So occasionally I would pop in. I would I would sit in and, and just observe him and his buddies playing and, and how dumb they were. And, and it started to interest me. So we had conversations about it. He started telling me more about 5e and some of the different rules and, and how things worked and all. And then I started looking into it myself. So... He DM'd a game for me and a couple of people. So he was actually my first DM in 30 years. Oh, we wow. did a little one shot. He moved out and he did one more game with his fiance and me and one of my other kids. And it was a good time. And then COVID happened or, or it was starting to happen and, and things were getting ready to shut down and all. So my wife actually got a couple of our friends together and they agreed because one of them, the, the, the husband, had played D&D as a kid too. So they joined in. I We set up characters and stuff and then everything locked down. And I was like, well, crap. And that's when I turned to Roll20 and that's how I met Mitch. And, and your life I has got never in, been the same. Yep. No, it hasn't. And then... <laughs> I found your I found You're you in, the, in that group. And <laughs> then I had really good games after I met you, Gerald. Well there you go. Because I was a DM. Catch <laughs> uh -oh. you up for that one. Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the Pop Culture Cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. So let me get this straight. We're gonna play a like a video game together or Well, not exactly. Okay, fine. W where's the controller? Oh uh, that's it's it's right here. This is literally a sheet of paper. I don't understand what you well, here. You're gonna need these two dice. You just hand. Are these even dice? We are gonna play Vampire the Masquerade. It's a role-playing game. What kind of vampire do you want to be? 
Okay, now you're telling me there's more than one kind of vampire? Oh, my friend, you have no idea. There's an Osferatu, there's Nosferatu. Vampires and Vitae, an actual play podcast. Season 2, coming soon to Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, I'm glad to see that you're experiencing some good times now. Again, we're going on 50 weeks, 50 sessions of our yep. Demolition Force slash The Lost Minds of Founderverse. Uh, I'm really happy that it's, I, I had a chance to join and, and work with you on that. So I cannot thank you enough for leading this adventure for all of us. But I want to go ahead and get Melinda and Rob. I know both of you have various backgrounds as well, as far as with your role playing, your voice acting. Melinda, you said you were on the air as a member of the broadcasting community at one time. I, I, I hear you two are having so much fun. And as a couple that's in D&D and active in D&D, to see you both interacting on that and having such a great time is, is very rewarding. Tell us your background with D&D and how you both got into it and how it came to be that you, you really wanted to start seeing it from a DM's point of view. You can go ahead, darling. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. The first time I crossed paths with D&D would have been in junior high. In, in Canada, we call it junior high. I think you guys call it middle school down here in America. Yeah. Okay. So it was yeah. like grade eight, grade seven, grade eight. I used to hang around with, you know, like all of the different groups of kids. And one of the groups were very much into all of the geek stuff. And my dad and I used to watch, you know, the really cheesy sci-fi movies where like you can see the sticks on the UFOs flying across the screen. Mm, dad those and are I the best. Yeah, we used to watch that stuff all the time. Yeah. And the really cheesy fantasy films we loved and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was sitting with these guys at lunch one day and they were talking about D&D, which I had never heard of at that time. And they were talking about like you could play as a wizard. And I was like, excuse me, I can be a wizard. So I, I played a couple of games with those guys. I couldn't even tell you what edition it was, to be completely honest. I'm sure if I looked hard enough at home, I would probably find the character sheet. But that's kind of how I found it. And I never came back to it until about four years ago, three or four years ago now. And that was just kind of a fluke. I had been looking for a different creative outlet than what I was doing for work because I was on air. I was in radio at the time, had been for like 20 years. Everything was just feeling stale and, and too homogenized and you didn't really have like a, a creative outlet anymore in terms of what you could do on air. So I started to try to look for it in different ways and D&D &D came up and uh, I found a DM who would run games for me, got a, a group together, happened to be all girls. Eventually that DM wasn't going to be able to run games for us anymore. And we all just really enjoyed the time that we spent together. So that's how I became a DM was out of necessity. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. And that's really kind of been my stories so far in D&D. &D. And then I met this guy over here. Yay. Oh, <laughs> wow. I know. Oh, and wow. I know. Uh, but we... Well, I mean, did you? Well, when you when let me ask this: when you two met each other, did you know first off that you both had an affinity for D and D, or how did that work out? Oh no, I actually picked up D and D entirely for her. You did. Oh, I, I, what? I know so now much. Now we need to hear Rob's story. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Wait, were you already into vampire? Yeah, yeah. Before I'd that, okay. So you were into oh. RPGs. Yeah. Yes. 
just, just not D&D. D&D. Uh, I actually started off with uh, Vampires and Vitae in college. I went to a lot of acting schools. The one I finished going to, my graduate program, if you will, was called the Neighborhood Playhouse. That's, um, that's Meisner School of Acting. And when I moved there, I moved there with a guy that I'd met in San Francisco and his brother as well. Uh, his brother wasn't attending that school, but they were moving back to New York City. So uh, when we moved there, him and his brother were kind of they were playing vampires. And I was staying with them for a little while before we got to move into our apartment. And I was, you know, I got interested. We're all a bunch of actors. So we started doing it. And the Meister School of Acting is actually a improv school, what it was really known for and what it dedicates itself towards. And the brother had just graduated from the Academy of Art University for directing. So he was an actor, director, and he had two, you know, starving artist kids in New York City without any money to, you know, go out and do anything. But we could all afford paper to play, uh, D to play Vampires and Vitae. We played Vampires for about four years, I think. One of the campaigns going on for over two years. A uh, lot, a lot of fun and kind of got into the hobby itself with that. Uh, hey, Rob. Yeah. Just real quick for clarification, it's Vampire the Masquerade. Masquerade, yes. Sorry, my podcast. I get I yep. see Vampires of Vitae so yeah, your your <laughs> game is Vampires of Vitae. I just wanted to clarify that for listeners. Yep. Uh, you get on air, you say your name enough, it just sticks in your head. <laughs> yep. Well, we are um, renaming it. Just to yes. let you know. We're we're gonna send in for the IP. We're gonna we're gonna do that. Call White Wolf and let them know you're changing their name. Yes. yes. I'm sure it can't cost too much. Yes. I can help yeah. with the funds there, you know. Send in for a pet. Yeah. There you go. I'm the only one that has a stable government job. <laughs> but when it came uh, when it came joke. Yeah. When it came to D and D, me and Melinda were long distance for quite a while, about a year before we got to actually live with each other. So um just as something, you know, long distance, you gotta create conversation. You know, it's not just not seeing each other, you gotta definitely have something to be able to talk about. Uh I kind of got into D and D sort of watching Critical Role and realized that there was a lot of commonalities in between uh, vampires and D and D. And so when she came here, she we had an opportunity to play with some friends. And that's when I, we actually started up uh, first D&D. We played a couple games with that. And then uh, that just kind of became our at-table vampire game. So we've been doing that for over a year now. And she needed more connectivity because uh, she didn't know a lot of people here in Vegas. So she joined your guys' game, Roger. And after, I think, your third or second session, she asked if I wanted to pop in. And now here we are. And your lives have gone downhill ever since. Yes. <laughs> Because you met us. Yeah. Now you're inviting me into your home. Yeah. <laughs> you took my dog away. It's, this is well, I great. think a big part of that might be... Uh, that was not my fault. Me and Rob, that was you know. Mitch. Yeah. It all Mitch leads back to Mitch. took your dog away. Michael... Blame uh, for all the evils. Michael, <laughs> these, there's been some great stories so far, but Michael, tell us your story in regards to how D&D has affected your life. Interesting. Well, I think it's a great creative outlet, both as a player and a dungeon master. Actually, I play in a campaign right now with someone who was a player when I was a DM. Several times throughout my gaming experience, I've helped people have expressed interest in becoming a DM, and that's kind of the question they always ask is, how do you get started? Yeah, so it's been one of the, one of the greatest things as someone who ends up being a player, expresses interest in being a DM. And I always encourage people to start with a module because it's laid out for you. It's a great way to have the story already written. And then very soon after that, 
I encourage people to expand and write their own stories. And so I have a background in the creative arts. I'm also a musician and I've done some writing. And for me, it's all about this storytelling. When I'm creating a a story arc, whether it's writing a, a novel or doing um, or writing a patent or writing <laughs> a thesis, it's all about the story arc, the beginning, the middle, the end. So lately, in the last, I'd say, five years, I've been going back to some of the original settings. I love the land of Greyhawk. I just it brings me back to where, uh, like uh, Roger was saying, you know, the original red set. And then, gosh, I don't even remember. I was a teenager, but some, uh, it must have been late 70s, early 80s when AD&D came out. And the original Player's Handbook and DM Guide and Monster Manual. And that really was a game changer because you could create any story in any situation. Later, I got into sci-fi, so I started playing Traveler. So I played Traveler for a while, which is like sci-fi D&D. It's changed a lot over the years. I've heard about Traveler. Is it is it good? Okay, so if I'm you, sorry if, if you, you're going to be on a tangent. I'm sorry. I just no, really, no. I'm interested. If, if if you like how D and D used to be, which is like you had to get pen and paper and do you understand had to understand math, and if you like the intrigue of the different races interaction of the races in D and D, like up to second or third edition, Traveler has a lot of politics and racial history and timelines and it gets very intricate. It's kind of like the original D&D, like Roger was saying. You had to actually get paper and pencil out and to calculate a hit took minutes. You think it takes a lot in Roll20. Probably doing a combat with a dragon with paper, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Traveler's a little different. It only uses like six-sided dice, but if you get into it, it's great, but it's very difficult to get people into it now because we live in a world of video games and things that are more fast twitch where the traveler is, is a very thought process oriented game. You're listening to the pop culture cosmos. You've heard others, but nothing could prepare you for the shameful stupidity that is the jock and nerd podcast. Here, Imran. So if you offend everyone at once, it all it's a wash. I've covered everybody. Anthony. Sorry, I was texting. Say that again. And Rug Boy. Yeah, whenever there's a snowstorm, my slack hole tightens up. As they talk over one another. Just exactly uh, the same Connor as was J- the fucking Terminator. We're talking over each other. It's fine. Sorry. Swear. I had boobies. And ask you for money. Just give us the money. Witness the hubris as they claim to be the world's authority on comic book movies. Who's that? Never said that. You've never said that. Who cares? A jock said that. Comic book, TV, movie, reviews, news, and whatever they choose. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Jock and Nerd Podcast. It can't be silly, goofy fun. Seriously, people really listen to this. Uh. Jock and Nerd! Well, certainly last but not least with us here is the youngest member of our team, unless somebody's telling me something different, is Mitch. <laughs> and Mitch, I know you are probably the most recent to get into tabletop RPGs. So tell us oh, your background. Let me tell you. He's the baby DM. Yes, he is. So but I he's more than whopping... making up for it in quantity. Let's just put it that way. Oh, and yeah. quality. So I'll I'll dominate the conversation here for a minute and talk a bit about me. 
So yeah, I am 27 now. I was 26 when I got into D and D. Way Just back year, when, year. way back when, let's go back in time. Actually, I was uh, 25, about to be 26. But in 2019, December, just before 2020, just before COVID, one of my soldiers uh, who works for me was like, hey, Sergeant, you, you like D&D? And I was like, dude, I don't know what that is. Get out of here, you nerd. And long story short, ended up playing D&D with him. His campaign was really rough because he had a couple of weird players that were just some of his deployment buddies from Kuwait. And I ended up playing a couple of weeks with them. It only took about four weeks for me to decide, hmm, I could do this DMing thing. So lo and behold, I think it was the very first part of the lockdown was February 1st for us, beginning February, because I was supposed to move to Hawaii. It didn't happen. My Hawaii move got put back an entire year. You guys know my whole story. Every every week of the game would be, I don't know what I'm moving, guys, but I'll run D&D till I move for a whole year. I just started DMing, and lockdown happened. I had literally every day for six months free. I learned the whole rule book in like a day and a half. I started looking into the older rule books too, just for more inspiration, but I learned fifth edition in about a day. And trust me, the players, the, the other DMs here know how absurd my memory retention is because I'm weird like that. And I started DMing a game after just a couple of weeks, memorized the rule book, decided to homebrew, which, um, Michael, you're correct. You should run a module first. I didn't like what was written in most of the modules I read. So I was like, no, we'll do this my way. And I did it my way. There is a story attached to the first game I ran, which was actually a two-part game. And it's a bit of a cautionary tale as well as just a good story. I had three players in this game. My little sister, whom many of you have met and heard her voice and know how she is. She's very passionate, unlike me. And we'll call him a bit of a problem player, but he's been reformed now to a very good role player. And then the other guy, which is just all around, one of those players you want to keep in your games. He's an all-around superstar of a player. He's good at just about everything. He's one of those players you want to keep in your games. So I had those three. And we played a game where the players would eventually become evil. That was the whole point of the story. They became evil. They set themselves up as the big, bad, evil guys. Oh, such an original idea. And the game went okay. There were a couple of hiccups, a couple of weird things happening, because uh, one of the players was a definite min-maxer and a loot goblin, if you uh, get my drift. Go right he was, he was just a bit of a bad guy. The players went all the way from level 1 to 14, so it was a full campaign. By the way. And we played it every day, so it was like what would normally be a campaign for several weeks, just went every day through it. And I put my usual amount of prep into it, because... I just had every day free, every single day. So I was able to make maps, make massive encounters, plan all this stuff out, write a story. I just set everything up. The day before, ready for the next day, boom. I had the whole story prepped in my brain and made it all the way to level 14. The next part of the campaign was supposed to be them being the good guys. Well, the other player couldn't quite let go being evil. He made an edge lord. An edgelord to end all edgelords. His character had a six-page backstory about how he killed every single dragon that ever existed and was betrayed by a devil. And I sat there and said, you know you're level one, right? Long story short, he betrayed the party in that campaign. 
And he, we had plans for a whole redemption arc, but I, I had an inkling suspicion that wasn't going to happen. When he betrayed the party, every single person said, thank <laughs> God he betrayed us, we can kill him now. And the player, I mean, he was still there in the chat, and he was just like, what? But if the character had a reason, they were like, we don't care. We can kill him now. And I think that's when he realized that no one liked that character he made. So he made a character that hated books and literally decided to destroy every single plot device that would appear in the campaign. I said, ah, yes, go ahead. Because I also noticed that the other two players were really having enough of his stuff. Because it was one of those things after every combat, when you hear the words, I loot the bodies. And, you know, the uh, all-around superstar player I had was like, oh, well, I'm close to this body, so I'm just going to loot this one before he can. He's like, no, the bodies. And he's like, well, you'd have to loot six other bodies, get over there. By then, he'd have been able to do that before you could stop him. It was one of those things. A very abrasive player that got on everyone's nerves. It took time to get him out of that. And I wanted to go into his little redemption. But in the end, the story of that campaign, everyone loved it. All three of the players loved the story. Campaign died because of a fourth player I added who is a friend of mine. The problem player got on his nerves so much, he literally quit. And I was like, yeah, man, I get it. It happens. And afterwards, my little sister said, oh, thank God, I'm just going to quit too. I hate that guy. But it took a lot of time and several other games with the original party that we played with. And he eventually is now just big into the role play. He loves playing charismatic characters that are trying to get their way and do crazy stuff. But he's never done anything campaign breaking. It took a lot of time for us to be like, hold on, why would you do that? It was a lot of us asking the question of why would you do that? Why would this make sense to you? And... I think it was less of a problem of him being a problem player, but more of him not thinking about what his character would want and actually forming a character. He would just be an edgelord. And there is definitely a story here to be had with talking to your players about what they would do and what they really want to make. Because that was me as a DM. With the first characters I'd ever gotten, I said, oh, I make the character. Cool, I'll make it work. As a DM, you don't have to say, I'll make it work. You give them the world. You give them their left and right limits. That was my first game of D&D, my very first one that I DM, and it was a massive campaign, whole world and everything. I still have pages and pages of notes on it, and it actually helped inspire um, the two Haven campaigns that I ran with uh, Roger and Bob and Melinda. So there's always good that comes out of the bad. Indeed, um, that's the case. Yeah. God, what were your other questions? Well, actually, you guys have been so awesome with all your stories. I actually, we've just got a few minutes left on this episode because we've got lots of stories that you guys are going to tell over the course of this. And again, this DM roundtable we're going to be doing on a monthly basis. So before we head on out, I've got just one quick question I'm going to ask each and every one of you. If you were to give one bit of advice to an incoming player, because I know you guys over the course of time, we're going to be talking about all your greatest stories, great adventures, you know, stuff that went right, stuff that went wrong, all these things that over the years that you've learned and you've amassed as far as experience is concerned. But if there's one bit of advice, and I'm going to start with you, let's go with Roger first. We're going to start with Roger. Uh-oh. If there's one bit of advice you would give somebody, let's say me, who hasn't DM'd a game before, but let's say I just want to go ahead and say, guys, I want to start my own game. I want to run a DM campaign. What is the first bit of advice you would give to me? So I'm going to start with you, Roger. For a brand new DM or GM or however you want to say it, I would say definitely start with a module and make sure you read that module fully through at least twice 
before you even think about starting the campaign. There you go. That's a great bit of start right there for you. Excellent advice. Rob, your thoughts on it. If I was to come to you and say, hey, Rob, man, I, I'm thinking about starting my own game, man. I really need some help. Just if there was one bit of advice that you'd give me, man, what's the word that you would give me? Confidence is really going to be your biggest key because you're God, you know, and if you don't believe in your own story, your players definitely won't believe in you. So when you come up with something, even if it's weird or, you know, whatever have you, go for it fully. Believe in your own sauce and you'll do a lot better. It's amazing. Again, some great responses so far. Michael, I want to ask you, okay, let's say I come to you and I've I've checked out all the great stuff you've done with Reckless Moves every Monday night at 8 at RecklessMoves.com. You know, if I came to you and said, Michael, I want to start running my own game, what's the first bit of advice you would give me? It goes with anything. Learn the rules. So if you want to DM, start by reading the entire player's handbook. Then when you're a DM, read the entire Dungeon Master's Guide. So two books. The Monster Manual is like a reference. So by reading the first two books, and it's just reading them, uh, reading and understand them. Uh, that's how... I started. Yeah, you got to understand the basics. You got to understand the rules and got to understand the parameter of how you want to set things up. And you got to understand it so that if you, I mean, if you don't understand it, your players will not understand it, correct? Exactly right. Well, Mitch, if I was coming to you now, Mitch, and I was saying, you know what, Mitch, I want to go ahead and run my own game. I see the way you, you know, you interact with your players, whether it's Mass Effect, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, whether it's Star Wars Mercenaries, whether it's those great one-shots. I truly enjoyed the one that you did a few months back. Almost felt like the early 1900s. Do you remember Cat that one? Yes. Sir Cat Harold Timbuk. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it was Cat and Mouse, I think, correct? It was Cat and Mouse. Yes, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And you know, all the stuff that you've done over the course of the past year that we've been part of, and the one shots and the in the and the either the elongated campaigns or the short campaigns you run have been truly excellent. But I wanted to ask you this. If I was coming to you and say, you know what, I'm running my first game, what first bit of advice would you give? Well, I think it's actually pretty simple. Find something you're passionate about. If you read one of the books and it gives you ideas, it sparks that inspiration and that passion. You got to find something that inspires you and gives you a bit of passion about. For me, it was running my own homebrew. And then it was finding these one shots. It was other campaign ideas. Curse of Strahd has been the most inspiring campaign I've ever read. I didn't like most of the books when I would read them. I didn't like the modules. Curse of Strahd, totally different. It inspired me. It gave me ideas. So you need something that gives you an idea, something that isn't just, I'm going to run this cookie cutter module. You have to have something that actually gives you that spark. That's excellent advice indeed. And last, but certainly not least, Melinda, I know you and Rob run great campaigns, especially on Friday. You seem to have a great crew that interacts with you and I see all the great interactions you had on Facebook, and I'm really thinking about running my own game for the first time. What kind of advice would you give to me? My advice is the opposite of what everybody else has said. (laughs) (laughs) But it's advice. Why is that not surprising? So you're saying run, run far away. Yeah, no. um, Yeah, no. My advice is to just pull the Band-Aid off and do it. Enough, you know, hand-wringing about it and just do it. Find a one shot that you like 
you know the group of people that you're going to be playing with. So you know already what those people are kind of into and, and what's going to make everybody happy. So find something suitable and just run that one shot and running that one shot and building your first characters together with you as the DM at the head of the table, you're going to learn so much. And then you're going to be ready to, you know, take on maybe uh, something that's going to last for 16 weeks. Uh, and then you're going to be ready to take on, you know, that module that's going to run for a year and a half. And then you're going to be ready to go ahead and homebrew your stuff. And part of what I really like about being a DM is that the people at your table are your friends. They're not your opposition. So if you're not sure about a rule, then it's OK to have a discussion about said rule and come up with a compromise until you're able to look that rule up either after the game or during a break or whatever. But once you've made a, a ruling on something like that, you have to stay consistent with it. So it took me forever to remember the grappling rule. So for a while, I was just kind of winging it. But when I made a ruling in a session, I had to make sure that that ruling was the same for all of the players for the rest of the session. When in doubt, compromise. Just be consistent. Gerald, this last question should have its own podcast. It should have been its own. We might get actually back to it in a future episode, but I know there's going to be a lot more topics I want to go ahead and cover. Guys and gal, any last thoughts on the way out? Do it. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> well, there okay, you now go. Now we're infringing on a copyright. Come to the dark side. <laughs> here, comes, Come. here comes the Nike lawsuit. Yes. Always be a DM. Yeah. Come to the dark side. We have cookies. Yeah, right. Also, we do have more DMs that will be in these uh, discussions. There's there's more involved with our group than are here tonight. So oh, yeah. keep listening because there's more stories. There's more information. There's different perspectives and different views. Absolutely. And we'll bring that up continuously right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos DM Roundtable. Thanks so much to all of our Dungeon Masters for being on today's program. But don't just hear from me that we're the number one tabletop RPG streamer on Facebook. Get a taste of it yourself with a sample from one of our most recent games. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I see the potential for basically like another Netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player. They have a ton of resources. Apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed. They say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options.
none of you guys really catch some of the stuff happening in the background. You're, you're very focused on your quest. You know, your adventures, you're asking for information, getting all the stuff you need to know to succeed. But after she leaves, slowly a, a little kobold approaches you, speaking rather broken in the trade tongue. Do any of you speak Draconic? Does your character speak Draconic, Rob? No. I got common and dwarvish. That's it. All right. I wasn't even offered any extra languages. Melinda? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. So <laughs> She's pretty basic, honestly. Yeah. TT speaks common, giant, and gnomish. You pick yeah. giant, the fool. She's just a basic bear. Duh. Bear necessities. The simple True. bear necessities. I need to stop doing this to myself. <laughs> the kobold doesn't... I wasn't going to go there because I figured somebody else would. I mean, you might have a better singing voice than me. Oh, look, my power perception is 13. You are the most perceptive member of your party. Oh, that's really Unfortunately, a 13 also doesn't pass the DC, even if you rolled that for your active perception, which was in the end, a four. As she leaves, she's gone. Henna's gone. A small kobold approaches, speaking in broken trade tongue, but he does take his time to slowly articulate, Um, you strong adventurers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're told. Should meet with my master, Hakan. Like oh. the knot. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At this point, he like pulls out a little note, shakily, that he written draconic. Cannot trust Hanamajamaldo. She's yes, she's untrustworthy and dangerous liar. But please, oh, she seemed all right to me, man. This I check. I I wrote. I I got. I'm really good at uh, at recognizing things in people. A good judge of character, this one. Could we go meet? Could we go meet your master? Yes! Actually, yes. He wants to meet you. And he pulls out just this little crudely drawn map with, like, directions from where you are. And it's very obviously written in a shaky kobold hand as he's not the best artist. But he's trying. He tried. Like my grandfather, he just had to kind of shakes a little bit. Yeah, except this guy's, like, genuinely a bad artist. He is 480 years old, so, I mean, he's a little shaky at the end there. Impressive. He's a good man. Um, but Hakan, so he, he lives on the street of 10,000 Fools in a meek residency behind the red door that depicts, depicts camels leaping the sun. How am I doing on Broken Kobold Common? <laughs> it sounds good to me. We're talking about camels I'll... bathing in the sun. Is that what I heard? No. Um, okay. And he like paints with his hands. The, the sun. It was sunburned camels. Camels going over it. That cow's over the moon, but the opposite. Is your master also a cobalt? No, he is a dignified gnoll. Any of you? A gnoll. G-N-O-L-L. A hyena person. I thought you said a gnome. I know there ain't no dignified gnomes. Well, you see, the word dignified knoll is a bit of an oxymoron because there doesn't exist a dignified knoll. Hey, hey, I resemble the back half of that. There isn't a dignified hyena. Let me put it that way. But 
if you him. wish, could go and see Hakan. Yes. Yes, let's go see the not person. I'm down for All right. it. As you guys agree hey, to go meet him. Hey, your boss got whiskey? Yes. Let's and go. drink. And at that, the little kobold, like, zips into the crowd. Not with the life, fast, feline grace. Just with this speedy little lizard. Like a lizard climbing up a wall trying to get away from you killing it. Just zipping out. Dogs chasing in the backyard. Yeah. John, let's go find this person. Oh, it's nuts. Pecan. Named after nuts. Now I get what you were saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know what he was saying. I was going to say it but He beat me to it. Pecan these Yo, nuts. Is your boss nuts? Yeah. These nuts? Those Pecan. nuts? Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. And nuts. I am already loving this. If you guys were going to visit Hakan, he has more of a name than just Hakan, but the poor little kobold that you guys started interrogating couldn't tell you much more. Poor he little couldn't, He couldn't speak the common tongue so well. So but, we got a map, right? So we're following the map to where it led? Well, it's a map that we don't really know a whole lot about this, about this map. It's a kobold-drawn map. Yeah. It is, but... It's a sketchy sketch. Almost like a sneaky snack. <laughs> sneaky snack. Is, all right. Is, how have I done this? So many things in I've our games are just stupid sayings that I came up with. Sneaky snacks, it's not your turn. I am not that creative. You're just a meme lord. I'll take it. Um, Fair enough. So, I got a refill. <laughs> all right. I got my refilled my tankard with oil. My mind got refilled. You know, it's just a oh no, <laughs> straight out of the bottle. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually looking at you right Why now. Why dirty your glass? Yeah, yeah we right. classy You're here. Gonna drink the whole thing. All right, so we we are following this map. Drink right? yeah. responsibly. So, as you head down the uh, alley of ten thousand fools, uh, you come across a very nice house. Excuse me, that is ten thousand and three now. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, glad you can count. You really must be smart. Oh, smart. You approach this two-story square-shaped building. It's the same sort of sandy-type buildings that exist here, but it's very nice. It is a graceful place, wreathed in silk, and as you approach, it is wrapped in the scent of flowers and the sound of tumbling water. There are songbirds and butterflies you can just sort of hear uh, inside his home, which obviously... A tree is peeking through the tops of this courtyard. Does um, it have like a front door? Bees? Yes, are there yes bees? we're approaching the front door. There yeah. might be bees. Uh, I will go up and knock. Whoa! As you approach these nice double doors, they have flaking red paint that clings to a carved double door depicting camels leaping over the sun. Hey, you um, want Mildred to pick you up when you're knocking so they can hear you so your knocks aren't down at their feet? Yeah, you want me to pick you up so you can reach the knocker? Yeah. Hold on, guys. Right. I'll actually uh, I'll save you some time here. I have a map for this. I'm going to drop all your tokens on here, and then we'll uh, get you guys a better view of this map. Cool. All right. So the door swings open as you knock. And, well, it doesn't swing open, but as you knock on the door. Door opens and knocks you down because you're a tiny little guy. Opens inward, actually. Just one second. You fall over as you're trying to knock. Uh oh. 
dog, gold for dog. Door swings inward. A little kobold just opens up the door, ushers you guys in. Come on, come on in. You made it. I knew I could drop it. And just scurries off. Now you can actually see this indoor area. And so that was the same little dragon rat we saw? Yeah, same little dragon rat. You actually do see, sitting in front of this feast of food, is the man you can only assume is Hakan. I'm going to describe the environment, then I'm going to describe Hakan, and then you guys are going to decide what you want to do. Oh, okay. you, Rob, to shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I also needed to take a drink to get my talking jowls working. The scent of honeysuckle and the sound of gentle birdsong and dancing water cling to this little oasis of beauty and calm in the bustling city. A long, pillared balcony overlooks this open courtyard, the centerpiece of which is a bubbling fountain and a lush, leafy tree. The fountain in the center, the tree is in the bottom right, you can see the stump of it on your map. And then on the other side, opposite of the tree, is Hakan with a veritable feast laid out. And this knoll is going to town, eating just all kinds of food. Here is Hakan's art, his handout. This oh. is a big knoll. And fabulous. Yes. Looks like me and a moo-moo. Yeah. See, the closer you look, though, the less fabulous he is, because he's just, oh, it's like worn and, and ripped and stuff. Shh, mm-hmm. giving it all the way. I'm sorry, I forgot. You're right. I'll get sorry. to it in just yeah. a moment. I'll actually leave it up for the stream. There's a very good description of him, and I want to get to it. Um, where'd he go? So, you see Hakan. Mm-hmm. He is the average-sized height knoll, taller than um, any of you except the bear. But average size, knoll height-wise. But he is swathed in this colorful thwab, thob, T-H-A-W-B, thob, that mm-hmm. covers him, but threatens to burst at the seams due to his girth. And he is girthy. There are even some... There's, there's a lot of strain on this clothing. And he is eating, talking, welcomes you and Archimedes in. Ah. You've taken a job for that terrible cat folk, Hannah. <laughs> His laugh is just awful. It just sounds like a like he took a bee and just shook it in a tin can. Really, really hard. It is just the worst laugh. Yeah. Annoying and terrible. But in the spread of food in front of you, which he is digging into, there's meats, breads, sweets, ales, drinks... All the most unhealthy food you can find. But after saying all that and then welcoming you in with a hearty, off-putting laugh, what do you guys want to do? Mildred's going to be up to that table and dig in as well. There's I got a question for you. All. Yes. Do I smell any foul? Are you using one of your paladin abilities? It is my divine sense. Would you please drop that in chat for me? And I notice. <laughs> um, and how long does it last? As an action, yes. Until the end. Of, so it's six seconds. So I assume you're going to walk into like the center of the area. Yeah, pretty much. You can sense any celestial fiend or undead. There's enough behind total cover. Okay. What is it? It the also presence of strong evil 
registers on your senses Perfect. like a noxious odor. So, strong evil. Oh, Hakan? While not even remotely hostile to you, he's... The sense of the evil from him... It's like a shady merchant. You've met many shady merchants. You've gotten up and close to him and gone... Gotten that sniff, and it's it's that. It's that shady merchant that's going to stab you in the back or sell you a diluted healing potion or sell you fake items to begin with. He's a man of profit to the core, and that core has tainted his smell. But as you guys sit and approach, and you are about six seconds, you get the sense of evil. I need to do one more thing, but that's just, just kind of like... <clears throat> You all right? Hold on. Hold on. Your tongue? You need to call an ambulance? <laughs> no, no. There's, there's a, there's a, mm, a smell. You smell that? Oh. <laughs> I'm not done. Oh no. <laughs> You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to Doctor Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. How did watchdog groups with no experience in television take a controlling interest on Saturday morning television? When did Wonder Woman make her animated debut? Want to know why there were two competing Ghostbuster shows? How Atari changed the Saturday morning landscape? How did networks compete over similar genres at the same time? Find out all of this and more on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. A proud member of the ESO Network. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.